Hey friends, it's Michelle. In this week's episode, there's some sensitive subject matter that we touch upon where our guest today, who's discussing burnout, also shares how she almost took her own life as a result of the burnout she was experiencing. So this is a reminder that this is a podcast for entertainment purposes and is not intended to be mental health advice. When it comes to your mental or physical health, please consult with your trusted healthcare provider. Crying all day, every day. And then I kind of, after those two weeks, again, I rang the consultant, like, this is where I'm at now. Like, just give it, this is perfectly normal. Like, I don't, like, this is not normal. No. But I then kind of plateaued. But week by week by week, I just... I was sinking like it was too oh. much effort to it was too much effort to lift, lift a glass of water. It was too much effort to get out of bed. It was too much effort to shower. And it was actually it was Christmas Eve. I was home alone. The boys were out with some friends. My partner was out doing some of the bits of shopping so on this medication. I was told I couldn't drive. So I'd also kind of felt like I'd lost a bit. I'd lost all of my sense of independence. I've been driving since I was 17. And now all of a sudden I can't drive and I'm in this low and you know, my weight is just ballooning, ballooning, ballooning. I've got no energy. I'm not feeling great. And it was, it was just awful. And I, and I swear with where our house was at the time, uh, we were living kind of close to town. Our house was kind of halfway between a train track and a river. Mm-hmm. And I just sat there all day on this Christmas Eve in the morning. All that I had going around my head was, do I take the train track or do I take the river? Hey friends, welcome to the Good Life Podcast, a show for women in midlife who want to live happier, healthier, and more meaningful lives. I'm Michelle Lamoureux, self-love and podcast coach, as well as the author of Design a Life You Love. And together, we're going to be doing just that. Each week, I bring on world-class experts, authors, entrepreneurs, and also do solo casts with the intention of giving you the time and space to think about what you really desire in your life. I'm so glad that you're here. Hey friends, welcome back to the show. This is Michelle Lamoureux and today we are talking about burnout. This is something so many women and men have faced whether for personal reasons, launching your own business, running a company, or working in a corporate or some business setting. And uh, we are fortunate to have an expert in burnout on the show today. Joining us is Kelly Swingler, who's known as the executive burnout coach and works with C-suite leaders who are ready to regain control of their lives and create the time space and energy for the things that matter. Because as Kelly says, when leaders are happy and healthy, they live happier and healthier lives and they create anti-burnout workplaces that people love. She's the author of Mind the Gap, A Story of Burnout, Breakthrough and Beyond. Welcome, Kelly. Hi, Michelle. Thank you very much for the introduction and for the invitation. I'm really, uh, really thankful to, to be here and excited to see where the conversation is going to go. Yeah, I am too. I I feel like burnout is something that so many of us have experienced. 
mm-hmm. or or in a dance with all of the time based on where we are in life. Um, as you know, this is a show for women in midlife. So many of us are mm-hmm. balancing, taking care of el- elderly parents potentially, or have young ones or ones are off to college. All these transitions are happening. And then we're also working or, you know, just trying to find our place. And uh, women, mm-hmm. I think, take on more oftentimes yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Than anyone else, um, just for our giving nature. So I think it's an important conversation, one I've wanted to have. So I'm so glad to have your expertise on the show. Um, I know for you personally um, that we actually connected through, uh, we were on a Zoom workshop on crafting a TEDx talk. And you- We were. You shared something that uh, made me want to follow up because I was like, wow, I, we all kind of casually say, oh, I'm so burnt out. But for you, burnout uh, led you to almost wanting to take your life. Yeah. Let's start with just a definition based on your, like, how do you define burnout? What is it? What is burnout? Yeah, so the so I suppose the official burnout that was coined in kind of 2019 by by the World Health Organization talks about it as as this workplace uh, kind of syndrome, and they talk about it being chronic workplace stress, but they really talk about it kind of being like withdrawal from work, disengaging from work, all all of those sorts of things. But I think the more that I have come to learn about it, I, I I've been through it twice. I have researched and studied and done absolutely everything that that I can. And actually, both my burnouts occurred before the World Health Organization declared it as a, as this thing. So I suppose if if I start off by by kind of talking about a scale, I I see us very much on on this scale. And I think at one end of the scale, we have like exhaustion, fatigue, overwhelm, needing a you know needing a bit a bit of a break. And this is where we can, you know, we take a day off, right? We take a, we have a spa day. We do something for ourselves. We grab ourselves a, you know, a bubble bath and maybe a catch up with our girlfriends. And we maybe decide that we're leaving all of our family for a weekend and we just want to go away with the girls for a weekend and we want to chill or we want to do something lovely for ourselves. And it's kind of, and at that end of the scale, that will make a big difference, right? You will come back to yourself, you'll feel grounded again, life will be good again, and you'll ride on that for a little while. The, as we then kind of move along, we get to the middle of this scale, and this is where we get to the point of stress kicking in. And as that stress kicks in, at that point, we might start to experience some withdrawal. We might start to feel like we're spinning and juggling all of these different plates. and If we put in these self-care practices that everybody talks about, right, the nutrition, the hydration, the getting to bed early, all of the things that we know that we should be doing on a daily basis to look after ourselves. At that point, if we do those things, we can start to come further down the line again. We then end up, but I'm going to, Michelle and I are going to do this on script, but like way off the screen, we get to the other end of the scale, which is burnout. And for me, that's where it becomes debilitating. Because we all need stress in our lives. We all need stress to help us achieve our goals, to get us out of bed in the morning. As you mentioned, you know, young kids or or, or caring for for aging parents, that requires a certain level of stress to keep us driven, to keep us motivated and to keep us going. But once we are past that point of kind of healthy stress and we begin to move more towards burnout, 
we do go into it it is that fight or flight response right our brain is trying to keep us alive our brain is sending us all these chemicals that tell us we just got to keep on going we have to keep on going and once you're kind of past that stress stress threshold and on your way to burnout you don't think about taking a break your brain can't even compute that switching off and taking a break is what's good for you And I've studied a lot kind of around uh, like neuroscience and why we think and feel the way we do. And if we think about it, you know, kind of way, way, way back to kind of caveman and cavewoman, we were on red alert all the time, right? The caveman was looking after the village or looking after his tribe or doing whatever it was he needed to do and then going out to hunt. And whilst he's out hunting, if he then comes across a wild animal, He's not looking at that wild animal and thinking, do you know what? Now is the time for me to just sit down, grab some <laughs> lunch, have a chat with my friends and just see what's happening. Right. He's thinking, how do we catch this? How do I stay safe? How do we catch this wild animal? You know, so I can then take that back to the village and, and you know, and, and do whatever it is that we need to do. And really, that's the, the prehistoric part of our brains that is trying to keep us safe. It's telling us it's not safe to stop. Because what happens in our body and what happens in our brain is that we're in we're in absolute crisis mode, right? We have to keep moving yes. in order to stay alive. And so mm. we keep pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing because our brain is telling us that that's, that's how we, we stay safe. And it's at that point that it does become really severe chronic stress. And chronic stress is high levels of stress that we have been living with for a prolonged period of time. Burnout can take years to get to, and it can take years to recover from. And again, lots of the research out there is telling us that burnout can have the same impact on our brain, on our our prefrontal cortex, the part that you and I are using to have this conversation together, the part that we use to relate to everybody within our lives. Yes. But burnout can have the same impact on that on our prefrontal cortex as trauma. Wow. And so, again, as we're coming out of it, our decision making ability, our ability to relate to other people, our ability to be able to really relate to ourselves can be very slow. It can be very hindered. We can feel mm. very isolated. And again, almost like we're constantly looking for red alert. Right. Where where is the next danger? What mm. what do I now do? And we can also lose a lot of interest in everything in life, Mm. like literally lose interest in in everything. Um, From my perspective, and you you mentioned there that the kind of life ending, which which we can come on to, but I I talk about this a lot, but my my first burnout made me very, very seriously ill. I was in and out of hospital for seven months. Um, I had to have two operations ultimately within 48 hours for two really physical health conditions because of the stress that my body had been under. I am still living with one of those health conditions as a result of what I had put my body through in terms of that stress. Mm. I now live with a a serious uh, mental health condition. I I live with bipolar as a result of both, uh, both periods of burnout that I went through. And yeah, you know, my first burnout made me seriously ill. My second burnout quite literally almost killed me. As you said, I did not want to be here. Oh, and yeah. 
So for me, you know, we and we talk about I see a lot and I and I think lots of people do it with the very, very best of intentions. But I think when we are like, oh, like we're so burned out, or I see all of this marketing, right? Coming into 2023, and I, I did a lot about this, but I saw loads of you know, small businesses, large business, you know, talking about, but, you know, 2020, you know, burnout free 2023, right? Because it had a brilliant marketing ring to it. Yes. And yet what they were selling was accounting software or they were selling diary management or they're selling all of this (laughs) stuff. And of course that can help you stress less and make you feel more organized. Yeah. But when I see it in that context, I just think like you do not understand the severity of what we're talking about, because if you did, it wouldn't just be a lovely little marketing caption for you. You would genuinely be taking it serious and using some other word to focus your your energy and attention on. Wow. Okay. So a few things I want to unpack from what you talked about. Um, right. It should never be minimized. And you're right. I think we do kind of say, oh, I'm so burnt out. And, you mm-hmm. know, we do potentially minimize that. And you you walked us through a scale of somebody who can sort of recover and they're really not there to a total tipping point where people are d- depressed. I mean, if you're saying mm. there's no joy in life, you talked mm. about the neofrontal cortex, which I mm. learned, you know, having a teen, um, yeah. you learn that kids can't regulate because they don't have the executive functioning skills yeah. that come from that part of the brain. Apparently, obviously I am not a neuroscientist. So if anyone out there is and listening, and I'm not saying this quite right, feel free to send me an email, but that was my understanding of it. They used, you know, a more primitive part of the brain. Mm-hmm. And it makes me wonder, you know, if that part shut down, then no wonder mm-hmm. you can't think, gosh, I really need to just set some boundaries here. I really need yeah. to unplug. I really need to really protect and care for myself. Yeah. So um, you talked, Kelly, about two times. So when was the first mm-hmm. time and when was the second? And why do you think after the first time you didn't get the wake up call? I've done all of that work, Michelle. So yes, the first time was 2013. Um, I was 32 years old. Yes. I had been uh, in my current role for just over two years. I had been recruited uh, and and I I think I still hold the title, uh, but I had been recruited as the UK's youngest HR director um, at 30. I was in an organization with almost 4,000 people. I had a team of 43. I was commuting into London every day, right? It's every kind of every girl's dream in the UK, sure, you know, work in the big city. Um, I had twin sons when I was 20. So at that point, my, my sons were 12. Um, and I, up until that point, I'd, I'd loved my job. I had had kind of a eight, eight over an eight year period. I'd had seven promotions. I'd added more than a hundred thousand pounds to my salary, on paper, life looked perfect. I had the house, I had the big family car, I had the sports car, the all-inclusive holidays, the red-soled shoes, designer handbags, all the bling that you could ever imagine. Um, incredible figure, uh, lots of health, lots of vitality, you know, two happy sons, happy marriage, perfect life on paper. Yes. And uh, for the role that I was headhunted into, and I think that's the bit also that I just think, like this organisation asked me to go to them and and I did it sounded I knew it that I knew that it would be a challenge yes but I also think when we are in or you know a lot of the time at any point in life I think if we are given two options of a job one where we're just going in to be the caretakers 
right? Everything's running smoothly. We don't need to change anything. Everything is perfect. And we just literally got to go in and caretake that role, right? And get paid all of this money versus a role that's a real challenge where we need to roll our sleeves up, get stuck in, turn it around, get the accolades, you know, be the one to make it all happen. Yes. And and so I knew knew it was going to be a challenge and, and I opted for the difficult role (laughs) but I'd been in difficult roles before I think what I hadn't realized in this one was just how toxic Mm. the workplace was and and by that I really do mean the executive team but the executive team as a whole were not that bad when I went in I had uh, an incredible boss that I was reporting into and she was amazing like in terms of boundary setting, she was very clear in I work because she would kind of leave at kind of four, four thirty, go and have dinner with her son who was at university in London. And then she would pick up work again later in the evening. Mm. But she would say to me, just because I'm emailing you outside of office hours, you don't need to respond. Yeah, This is how I work. This is how it works for me. My priority is dinner with my son every day. And this is what we're going to do. Wow, She was incredible. And I also, when it came to salary negotiations for the role, and again, you think having worked in HR, I would know my stuff by now anyway. Yes. But I knew that this was a step up role for me. And when I was talking, I had a conversation with her actually about the salary. And there was like a £20,000 difference between the lower end of the salary and the higher end of the salary. And I went in with, well, obviously, this is a role that I've never done at this level before. So I'm happy for the lower end of the salary. Yes. And she said, I'm going to ask you again what salary you would be comfortable with. And I was like, well, obviously, it's a job that I've never done before. So I'm happy with the lower end of the salary. And she said, you do realize from day one, people are going to be expecting you to be able to do this job regardless of whether you've done it before. So unless you tell me that you want the higher salary... I don't think we can move this conversation forward. And I'm like, I don't think I'm worth an additional £20,000. And she gave me it. She She coached me in that moment. Yeah, she coached me in that moment. Awesome. That's unusual. And she made me see what I needed to see. Wow. And she was amazing. And then I I was in that role for about three months. They made the decision, which had clearly been going on way before I was there, but nobody told me. Um, and they were restructuring the exec team and she took voluntary redundancy. And it was at that point when the exec, they'd, I think they'd made four or five different changes to the, the very, very senior team. And I then began reporting into a very, very toxic leader and then ultimately the, the chief exec. Um, but the whole of that executive team were the most toxic people that I have ever, ever met and worked with in my entire life. And my gut was screaming at me to get Mm. out of there. And I'd Mm. always been a very intuitive, gut-led person. Yes. And I kept ignoring it because in my head, it was, you can be the one to turn this around, right? I wanted the accolades and the awards. And, oh, my God, like, if I can turn this around, this will set me up for life. This will be the best job. Like, I I know I'm only going to stay here for a short while, but if I can turn this around, the job opportunities that will be available to me afterwards, the salary that will be available to me afterwards. And I kept going, and every single day, my gut kept telling me, you have to get out of there. And it got more and more and more and more toxic. Wow. And in 2012, a number of different things happened that I just I didn't agree with. Um, 
the tone of everything was just awful. Nobody was thinking about the people. Everybody was backstabbing and leading through fear and very kind of command and control. And I'd I'd worked literally all the way through my Christmas break that year. Mm. I'd gone back into work in the January of 2013. And by the lunchtime, I couldn't stand up. Literally, physically, and you couldn't physically stand. couldn't stand up. No, no, because of st- it was it was stomach cramps, right? And I've had stomach cramps before, but I had these crippling stomach cramps. And um, I, I was with another couple of directors, and they said to me, "You need you need to go home." I was like, "I'm not I'm not going." And the pain had worsened the following day, and I still went into and I'm I'm talking you know two two and a half hour commute from my door to my office. Wow. Every day. Oh, wow. On top and of all of that, you were commuting two on hours? On top of all of that. Well, oh, that's, no, well, more than that. That was just two. And then it was from. So I'm talking between four and five hours of commuting time a day, a day. on top of this. Oh, for goodness sakes. Okay. Um, but I wanted it for the salary and I wanted it for the accolades and I wanted it because this is what we do, right? We climb the corporate ladder and this is what success looks like, right? right. This is what we're told success looks mm-hmm. like. Um, so on the th- this was so the Wednesday the pain had started Thursday pain had worsened but I'd still gone in and on the Friday I still went in but I couldn't carry I couldn't even carry my handbag so I got a taxi from the train station to the office and I delivered a full day and the pain was worsening and worsening and worsening and worsening and again as I look back at it now I didn't want to let anybody down. Mm, I didn't want anybody to think that I wasn't capable of doing my job. I didn't want anybody to think that being the only woman at that level, that I wasn't capable of doing what I was doing just Mm. from a bit of stomach crap. I mean, it wasn't a bit of stomach crap. Like This was crippling, agonizing pain that I could not stand up through. But I didn't want anybody thinking that I wasn't capable. I didn't want anybody thinking I wasn't a capable woman. And again, being the youngest director, I didn't want anybody thinking that it was about my age, my gender or my inability to do my job. I didn't want anybody thinking that I wasn't committed. And so I carried on. And and that Friday on the way home on the train, um, I, I the pain had become so severe that I went into the into the into the bathroom on the train. And only realised that I'd passed out when I hit my head on the sink and kind of found myself on the floor. Um, Managed to get myself back to my seat. I managed to get off off the train at my right stop. And thankfully, a friend of mine had been on the train a couple of carriages behind me. And she literally came up and caught me before I fell. Um, Her husband had come to pick her up from, from the station that day and they took me to hospital and the hospital couldn't see any really any reason as to why I was in so much pain. They didn't know if it was a bit of a water infection or or quite what it was. So they sent me some home with a, you know, sent me home with a few painkillers and just said rest rest all weekend. And that carried on for seven months. And I was in and out of hospital all of the time. Um, nobody could give me a definitive answer. Nobody could give me a definitive response. And without that response, without somebody saying to me, this is what is wrong with you, yeah, yeah. I began to think, you know, maybe I'm just over-exaggerating this. Maybe it's all in my head. Like, surely it can't be this bad if they can't work out what's wrong with me. And I and I do, I, I joke about this now and kind of try to make light of it. Um, but it, you know, it's it's not. But I don't know um if you or any of your fabulous listeners are um friend or, or are fans of friends. 
TV series Friends. Of course, and yeah. there's that one episode where uh, I think Janice says to them in the coffee shop, and Janice says, uh, like, what would have been, like, imagine what if life could have been different for you, right? And they, you know, in different relationships and they're doing different things. But there's that one where Phoebe <laughs> is then this high powered executive, I right? With the bob that. And the power suit. <laughs> I had the bob and the power suit, right? Um, but of course, while she's in her hospital bed, She's there typing away on her laptop and shutting down her mobile phone and smoking in the bathroom of the hospital room with all of the smoke coming from the door. I mean, other than the smoking in the toilet, that was me because I was still capable of working from my hospital bed. And so I would work from my hospital bed. And when I wasn't in hospital, I was at the office and I was still commuting into London. I was still doing my job. And this is where I say that our brains do not that stopping is not an option. Stopping was not an option for me. And I remember the week that I had to have these two operations in 48 hours, my boss finally shut off my email access. My mum had been in contact. And again, imagine that. I'm a 32-year-old woman whose mum has rang her CEO to say, <laughs> "Good mama. Kelly needs some rest. <laughs> and my mum came in to tell me what had happened. And she said, you've got an hour left on your emails and then they're cutting off your email access. And I screamed at her, like, how dare she do that to me? How dare she interfere in my career? How dare she do all of this? And they cut off my emails but of course I knew all of my teams and everybody's emails anyway right so I could still email from my own personal email account because there was nothing in my head that said you need to stop yeah and I did stop yeah but what was so I was coming out of these operations what were the operations Kelly what did they operate for um so one was uh, an endometrial ablation so I had developed uh, quite severe uh, endometriosis as okay. a result of it and that endometrial ablation sent me immediately into menopause so I was menopause I went straight into menopause at 32 oh wow um straight after that operation which came with its own complications because it took me 10 years almost 10 years uh, eight, 8 years to get any doctor to listen to the fact that I believed I was menopausal so that that's come with its own issues over the last 8 years um, and then I had to have, and I can never remember the the word for it, but I then had to have an operation uh, to deal with Crohn's um, oh. because I had also created, I'd also developed Crohn's um, as a result of the stress that I had I had put my body through. Yeah. And yeah, so I had these two operations, 48 hours, still thought I was fine, right? Still thought I was fine. I could still, still move, still work, was fine. But the pinnacle moment, and anybody that reaches the point of burnout will have a pinnacle moment. And mine was laying on the sofa, watching mind-numbing daytime TV, like chat shows all day. And my son's coming in from school, and I must have looked awful, really, Mm. really awful, because the look on my son's face when they came in. And my response to them as I'm sure most of us would do, right, was to reassure them that everything would be okay and mum would be back at work soon. Right, that was the first thing that came. Mum will be, you know, mum's going to be okay and I'll be back at work soon and everything is going to be fine. And they came and sat on the coffee table in front of the sofa and said to me, they looked at each other and then said to me, bearing in mind they were 12 years old at the time, my 12-year-old son's, and they said to me, but mum, we don't want you to go back to work because your job's k- killing you. Oh, wow. 
And the heartbreak and heart wrench in that moment was more pain than I had experienced over that that previous seven months because they, I could not believe in that moment that I had allowed myself and my job to cause that much worry and upset to my sons. And that was the first time that they'd really said anything, right? They'd been sat next to me in the hospital beds. But of course, whilst I'd been in the hospital, I'd mainly been working. So even when my sons were there, they were still seeing me with my phone and my laptop. And I was, you know, talking to them about their day and I was talking to them about my job. But we we hadn't been talking about how I was feeling or what had been happening. And I genuinely cannot believe that for seven months I put that. And that was a, that was just with the pain. Like I, I, the year before that, if I think about what was happening to my body and my head during that time, it, it I, it's as though it was happening to somebody else. Yeah. Um, and so at that point, I realized something needed to change. I did go back to work after the operations. I knew that something needed to change. And that's when I really started to do a lot of this inward looking work that I now do with people right. all of these years later. Right. Um, and I decided that I was going to leave corporate. I was going to start my own people and change consultancy, doing the stuff that I loved outside of corporate, because I realized, as many people do as they come through burnout, that sometimes you're just too much of a square peg in a round hole. I didn't fit within that organization. And at the time I was looking for other HR director roles, but all the jobs seemed the same. And I thought, oh, I just want to think a bit different. And I then had this moment one day, just do it for yourself. And I never thought I would start my own business. I thought I was a corporate lifer. Yes. Um, and found myself saying this. And, and I started my own company. And it was, I had my, you know, my first clients within a few weeks. Um, I was earning good money. I was doing incredible work. I absolutely loved it. And then my entire focus, my entire mission, my entire why changed when I got a phone call that said that my replacement, the woman that had gone in to replace me as the HR director, um, had died whilst away on a leadership residential with the exec team. And I remember in that moment thinking that could have been me. Do you think it was the stress of the job? Nobody could, nobody will ever say all that was ever put out was that there were no pre-existing health conditions that anybody was aware of. Oh, for goodness sakes, Kelly. And I just remember thinking that could have been me, but it, it was a couple of days later that I then received a phone call to say, um, nobody's ever told you this. And we, you know, we've always tried to kind of hide it, but I think you now need to know that the three previous HR directors to me in that organization had all left because they'd all become seriously ill. Oh, for goodness sake. And that became my driver, right? That became my driver. I'm looking at five of us, one who's sadly no longer here. Four of us have all become seriously ill. Why was this being allowed to happen? Why was nobody doing it? And why had all of us stayed in that sort of environment to the point that we had all become seriously ill like what was that driver and that's where I started a lot of my study I studied neuroscience hypnotherapy psychotherapy I wanted to understand everything I possibly could about stress and toxic workplaces and toxic leadership and fear I mean I was all in doing all of this study there was nothing that I wasn't learning about the brain about the body about stress about vagus nerves about every single bit that you could possibly think of I was all in 
And if you'd have asked me at the time, and I was asked to write a book on overcoming stress, <laughs> bizarrely, or ironically, I was asked to write a book on overcoming stress, which I did from all of my learning. Like, this is a practical guide on how you overcome stress and live your best life and do all of this stuff. And the editor that had asked me to write it, or the publisher that had asked me to write it, yeah, and basically said she wanted something practical. And I was like, I'm your woman, and explained all this stuff to her. She's like, brilliant. She'd spoken to four or five different possible authors before me. And I was the one that was yes. And so again, uh, again, ironically, I'd written the book on overcoming stress. I'd done all this research, all this learning, all this studying. And then I hit burnout again. And it wasn't until I started to come out of the other side of that. And again, again I, had, I probably had five months between not being able to move and wanting to take my own life. That was a five month period. Mm. And I realized in that time, all of the learning that I had done and all of the people that I had been helping to help them live happier lives, to help them avoid burnout and to help them overcome stress and, and all of that stuff. I hadn't implemented any of it for myself. Wow. Not one thing. Wow, Kelly. Okay. So again, going to unpack what I've been hearing because I think this is really important. Um, toxic workplaces. I think- Yep. Anyone listening, the majority are some, I mean, people are going to relate toxic workplaces. You can have, like you said, the best boss. And then if mm -hmm. that changes and mm -hmm. you're dealing with a toxic manager, that just, there's no yeah. way that everyone around them isn't going to be impacted by that. And it's interesting that, mm -hmm. and I, I don't know, well, me as a woman, I'm going to speak as a woman, but I think that what I was hearing you say too, is you didn't want to let anyone down. I know from your bio that you're, you call yourself an overachiever, perfectionist. I mean, yep. obviously you're very driven. And I think a lot of women can relate to that as well. Right before the pandemic, I was asked to give a talk for female leaders, all uh, seven figure plus CEOs mm -hmm. on self-care and was called self-care yeah. for the modern female leaders, what I presented on. Lovely. And Yes. And it was interesting to see the women in the room because uh, one of the other presenters was talking about how she had like a brain bleed. Okay. And mm -hmm. she literally, she said, this is the, this is, you know, she was sharing her story. She had her cell phone with the brain bleed mm -hmm. while they were dragging her out on the ambulance. And she was checking in with her team at like midnight, like, because there was something happening the next day and didn't want to let anyone down. Yeah. And, you know, I was sharing the story of another CEO who had shared her story on my show and talking about like this horrible thing that happened. I'm like, do you think the woman went and sought help or did she go in the office? And they all looked at me like I was crazy. They're like, yeah, of course she went to the office. I'm like, exactly. This is the issue. This is the yeah. problem because it's the sense of responsibility, not wanting to let other people down. You went in with this mindset as I'm going to change it. It's no okay. different than Absolutely. being in a toxic relationship where you think mm -hmm. I'm going to love this person and make them a better person. You can't. Yep. The only yep. person you can change is yourself. And it sounds like ultimately totally. that's where you ended up. But I think mm -hmm. the women listening are going to relate to aspects of what you're talking about. And if somebody hasn't been to the extreme of it, you can still understand how uh, wanting to please. You were also in your thirties at the time too, trying to like, you know, mm -hmm. follow a model of what success looks like without even knowing maybe what your yeah. model of success was, right? So you were just 
stuck in a system. And I think a lot of people are, and you also can get stuck in the trap of like, I make a lot of money and I've got a family, Mm -hmm. or even if you don't, like, I don't want to give up this lifestyle. And so why Mm -hmm. am I complaining? I mean, for you to be in that much pain for seven months and just pushing forward. And then also we'll go back to what you said about the new neofrontal cortex where your executive Mm -hmm. functioning was off. Like you were not able to say, stop. Your mom had to come in. Yeah. I mean, I, I literally, and and even, yeah, Yeah. I I can remember going for when I had to go for the checkups afterwards, because nobody had even, nobody had mentioned stress. I've not heard about this word called burnout, but both of the consultants, it was two different consultants at two different hospitals that I needed to go to for these operations. And I then had to go back with follow-up appointments for them just to make sure that everything was was okay after, after I'd had the operations. And it was at that point that they both said to me, they were both asking about my stress levels. Mm. And I'm like, well, I'm not like, I'm not experiencing stress, right? That's what I sat and told these two consultants, I'm not experiencing stress. And both of them at the point mentioned to me burnout, right? That was the first time I'd ever really heard this word. Interesting. And they started to talk to me about chronic stress and the impact on the body, and I just was like looking at them thinking clearly, and I honestly, I didn't think they knew what they were talking about. Because if they did know what they were talking about, right, if they had known what they were talking about, firstly, it wouldn't have taken them seven months to diagnose me, right? Because they would yeah. have just been able to do it overnight. So it's firstly, it's taken you seven months to get this diagnosis. And now you want to talk to me about stress. Like, you know, if I am experiencing stress, it's because I've had seven months of you not being able to do your job properly, mm-hmm. right? I didn't, there was nothing in my head that thought, Kelly, something has to change. Yes. Until I had that conversation with my sons. Oh. That was the that was the thing that changed. So even after seven months, two operations in 48 hours, not being able to work, having my email switched off, really not being able to move my body, I'm still arguing with these consultants. Like you do not know what you're talking about. Yeah. But That's where I was at with my head. Yes, but what's interesting also with your head, it was that you were so in your head that you are so smart, you were going to figure this out. And then Mm -hmm. what did you say? You didn't do it for yourself. So intellectually, you had all the data, but you knew it all. You had investigated everything down to the vagus nerve, right? And had a relaxation response and what do you need to do when you were helping other women? And then bam, you hit that burnout again to the point where Mm -hmm. you just didn't want to continue. I, I didn't feel like I could continue. I had been, this time they put me on some medication um, to try and ease a lot of the like really, really heightened anxiety that I was experiencing, like yes. ridiculously heightened anxiety. Mm. And they put me on some medication. And for the first couple of weeks that I was on this medication, all I could do was laugh. It was like something out of a comedy sketch. It was literally like someone had flicked a switch and everything was funny, right? The Joker from Batman. I was like, everything was funny. And I can remember sitting in my office one day (laughs) and honestly having like this hilarious, and thinking like, I'm so grateful that I do not have a client this afternoon because they would just think like, what is wrong with this woman? And I went home and just slept. Like it had exhausted me. Mm. Um, and I rang the consultant to say, this is not normal. Yeah. 
And the consultants, like sometimes this medication will take a while to, you know, kind of do its thing. Just give Regulate. it a couple more weeks. Everything will be fine. Yes. So, okay. I gave it another couple of weeks. And after having these two weeks of a really extreme high, I then went into this deepest, darkest depression and was crying all day, every day. And then I kind of, after those two weeks, again, I rang the consultant, like, this is where I'm at now. Like, just give it. This is perfectly normal. I'm like, I don't, like, this is not normal. No. Um, but I then kind of plateaued. But week by week by week, I just... I was sinking like it was too oh. much effort to it was too much effort to lift, lift a glass of water. It was too much effort to get out of bed. It was too much effort to shower. Um, and it was actually it was Christmas Eve. And um, I was home alone. The boys were out with some friends. My partner was out doing some of the bits of shopping. So on this medication, I was told I couldn't drive. So I'd also kind of felt like I'd lost a bit. I'd lost all of my sense of independence. I've been driving since I was 17. And now all of a sudden I can't drive and I'm in this low and, you know, my weight is just ballooning, ballooning, ballooning. I've got no energy. I'm not feeling great. And it was it was just awful. And I and I with where our house was at the time, uh, we were living kind of close to town and I, we, our house was kind of halfway between a train track and a river. Mm-hmm. And I just sat there all day on this Christmas Eve in the morning. All that I had going around my head was, do I take the train track or do I take the river? Well, you, you won't be able to reach the train track because you'd need to climb up onto the bridge. You're not tall enough to climb up onto the bridge. So that's not going to be an option. Okay, so I need to go into the river, but I can swim, right? And what do you then do if you can swim in a river? Like, how do you make that happen? And then it was, you know, just carry a step ladder to the bridge, and then you could climb up. Wouldn't I look really stupid climbing up on a step? Like, you're not going to be here anyway. Like, who cares if somebody sees you with a stepladder? Mm, yeah, but people might stop me on the way. And then it was like, so what would I do? Okay, so I'd need to put on a really heavy coat and I'd have to put stones and big stones in my pockets so that as soon as I got in the river, I'd start to sit. I had all of this going around in my head. But I will say on that day, I do think that's whilst I hadn't done a lot with it or hadn't done anything with it up to that point to help myself. It was on that day that all of the training that I had done about the brain and the part of the brain that I needed to be in, that was the day that it kicked in because I knew that I didn't want to end my life. I just knew that I couldn't be in the situation that I was. And I knew in that moment, the more that it kept going round and round and round and round in my head, I knew that I just needed to get into a different part of my brain. And so I rang my partner and I said to him, I need you to come home now. This is what I cannot get out of my head. And I need you home now because I'm worried that if I cannot get this out of my head, I'm going to do something. And he came home within about 15 minutes and we sat and talked for hours. Yeah, you know, we talk about with mental health, like finding someone that will talk to like he listened to everything that I was saying. No questions. No, don't be so stupid. No, anything. He just talked. I talked and he listened. And when I then kept saying to him about it and he kept saying, well, you know, you're not going to do it today. I would ruin Christmas for the boys. OK, now so I, won't, I won't do it today. I'll do it tomorrow. Well, you're not going to do it today or tomorrow. Because tomorrow is Christmas Eve, uh, Christmas Day. You're not going to do it on Christmas Day because you'd never want the boys 
to know that Christmas Day was the day that you, so we, Christmas Day, we're not going to do it. Okay, no, so Christmas Day, I won't do it. So what about Boxing Day? Well, it's still a bit too close to Christmas, isn't it, right? And we've got family coming round. So I don't think that would be a good idea either. And we that we kept on talking. And every time I would come up with a day, he would then say, and we, you know, well, it's not, it's not a great day either, is it? Because of X, Y, or Z. And at the point that we got to the 13th of January, I my brain clicked and I was like, I just need to stop taking that medication. And I never took another pill. Yeah. And I rang the I rang the consultant, left a message on the voicemail to say, I need to speak to somebody. Yes. And I didn't get to speak to the doctor until I think it was something like the 27th or 28th of December and explained to him. And he said, you've done exactly the right thing. And I've never been medicated since. Even now I have my bipolar diagnosis. I still do not medicate because I manage my life through sleep, exercise, nutrition, staying hydrated and doing all of the stuff that I know. I work with an incredible mental health team. I work with, you know, counsellors, therapists. I work with an Ayurvedic coach. I work with a personal trainer. I'm working with all of the right people to help me with my body and my mind. And whilst, you know, I still struggle hugely with my weight, you know, I went for a health check yesterday afternoon. I have to have those done regularly. You know, my blood pressure is fine. My cholesterol is fine. All of my, like my body levels are all fine. I'm just carrying this excess weight. And if it means that I have to stay carrying excess weight but seemingly healthy for the rest of my life then that's what I'll do you know I live with the conditions I and I do say I live with them like I never say I am bipolar I don't say that you know I am Crohn's they're just things that I live with yes they're things that I have to manage they're things that I have to I have to keep on top of and sometimes my energy sucks it's like rock bottom and sometimes it's sky high and I recognize that we're all in cycles. I do what I can. I'm still here. Um, yes, I'm happy and grateful to be here. I'm, you know, I'm grateful for the work that I do. I'm grateful for the people that I work with. And and it's those things, yeah, that that make me so passionate about the work that I do. I mean, I, again, you know, when I'm kind of talking to, to audiences on the stage or, you know, pod, podcasts such as this, you know, I genuinely believe now that I had to go through it twice to ensure that nobody else went through it. Mm. because we can all do the textbook, right? I can do yes. the textbook of Michelle. This is what you should be doing. Let's tick yes. the boxes every day. Yes. That doesn't mean you're living a happy, healthy, or fulfilled life. And that's genuinely what I want all of us to be able to live. And I think I had to go through it twice in order to stop it being textbook and to do all of that. And, you know, I believe it happened for a reason. And I do believe part of that reason was so that I can ensure that nobody else has to experience it the way that I did. Yeah. They say sometimes our wounds are our mission. What you need to heal totally, is, totally becomes your vocation. It becomes your calling. Yeah. And it sounds like, unfortunately, yeah, you had to go through all that, but this is truly your path. And that's why you've embodied it. Mm-hmm. And for nine years, you've been doing this and yeah. you know, helping other leaders. I'm curious, do we know culturally, like I know the US is intense, like we just know, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the drive and the late nights, I worked in a law firm, I remember feeling guilty once mm-hmm. I was going to a, I volunteered for a an organization it was the Mass Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children. I ran their young professionals group. And mm-hmm. it was five o'clock. I think my meeting was probably 5:30. And one of the partners was on the elevator. And I felt like I had to explain that I wasn't leaving the office at five. I was going to go help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
he didn't care. He didn't ask. Like a lot of people left at five. I just never did. I worked 12 yeah. hours a day. That's just what I did. Yeah. And and yeah. I lo- and I loved it until I didn't, right? So when the founder passed mm-hmm. and the culture changed and it became a very toxic place, mm-hmm. I stayed out of loyalty for a year and a half, even though my soul was saying, you got to get out of here. You've You've done your yeah. work. Like it's not going to change. It's sort of, this is why I equate it oftentimes to a relationship because everything was familiar and it should Mm -hmm. feel good, but it no longer did feel good. Like I loved the people and everything, but the place itself had changed so dramatically. And I Mm -hmm. was assigned a, a, um, a marketing manager who knew nothing about what I did. And it just, I was like, okay, I'm being micromanaged every day. It was soul sucking for me. Um, but you know, you have to eventually go. It took me a year and a half till I gave myself permission. Like I've, I, I paid my dues in a way, like in <laughs> honor of the founder yeah. who I respected and appreciated. Cause I was one of the youngest marketing directors in the country. And when mm. I was 27, when they yeah. gave that role, there were very few marketing directors, if any law firm. And so I was sort of pioneering too. So I can relate to a lot of what you were talking about there. And um, well, let's talk prevention because mm. you said you manage your you know issues now through a variety of things. For, mm. I love leaving women with takeaways, specific, tangible yeah. things. So uh, give us some of your top uh, tips on, on that prevention. And now we're going to talk prevention. Yeah. So I think there are three things that I typically talk to everybody about. And for me, they are the three starters and they don't invite, you know, I'm not going to tell anybody to start going to the gym. You don't have to go running a marathon every day. If you're already doing that stuff and it's working for you and you feel healthy, carry on. But the three things that I talk about the most in, in prevention now and recovery. Yes. Firstly, I I start with who. And I think this is where we were kind of alluding to in, in the workshop that, that we both did together. But really starting with who, right? In terms like who are you? Get really clear on who you are, get clear on who you are not, who are you, you pretending to be, who are you presenting to be, which parts of you are you hiding, which parts of you are you fearful to present? Because it's that it really is that that power of identity. It's it is that starting point of who we are that I then believe drives everything else that we do. And like now is the right time to do that, right? It doesn't have to be when you finish the next project, it doesn't have to be when you've already stressed out, but who are you? So your core values, your core beliefs, your core understanding, all of that get really, really clear on that. You write it down pen to paper, Kelly? Is that like a journaling exercise? Yeah, you can journal it. You can do, you know, have a conversation again with girlfriends. Yeah, you can talk it through, you know, glass of wines. You can vision board it. You can script it. You can write it. You can record it into your phones. You can have the conversation with somebody. But get it, yeah, absolutely find the way to get it out. Okay. Um, if you're having a two-way conversation, so if Michelle and I were having the conversation together, I would just keep asking Michelle, like, who are you? And Michelle, you know, once and once we finish with Michelle, we then come back to me. But I'm literally just like, Michelle, who are you? And we just keep asking the question. And I'm not responding to you. I'm not like, oh, that's really interesting. Right, me too. Or do you know what my friend did? There's none of that. It's, you just keep going with the question and you go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And when you think there is nothing left to answer, you ask it again and you keep going because we will start off with the superficial stuff, right? I'm Kelly Swindler. I'm 42. I live in the UK. I'm mum of twins. 
we're only going to get to my values, my drivers, what's important to me, my why, all of that stuff, if we keep going and asking that question. And we want to go through all of those layers because that's where the really meaty stuff is. Mm. That's where the true parts of you are hiding, right? They're not sat on your shoulders. They're really kind of deep within you. And we want to go into those layers as much as possible. So who are you? We want to sit with that. Yeah. Once we're clear then on who we are, then we start to implement boundaries. So if my boundary is that we have family dinner together every single night, if my boss then comes to me and says, Kelly, I need you at that meeting at 6.30 this evening, actually, it's not happening because I will be at home with my family. Now, it's not to say I will never have that meeting, but it has to be aligned to my values. It has to be aligned to who I am. Yes. And it has to be aligned to every everything that I've done. Okay. So if you've given me enough notice, I might do it. But we talk about boundaries. And again, I think what I found with all of the women that I've worked with, when we talk about boundaries, the first response is, I'm really rubbish at saying no. Don't look at boundaries as saying no. Boundaries are how you reclaim your power and your energy and your time and your space, right? Boundaries are a reclamation of this is what matters to me. Yes. And I need those boundaries to ensure that I protect myself so that if I do then want to have dinner with my family every night, I'm not too exhausted to be able to have that conversation with them. Yes. So boundaries are about reclaiming. And I'm then once, stop there yeah. just quickly because yeah. I know you said what one of the objections are. So mm. you worked in a high-powered place. I know a lot of the women that listen. Uh, yeah. They might work in, you mentioned like a McKinsey or Deloitte. There's a lot mm-hmm. or any any of the financial institutions. If yes. there's any of those environments where it's still very much a patriarchal system, very male oriented, you got to be the one showing up to play golf and all of these expectations. Yeah. If a mom, understandably, wants to be home like your previous boss and is like, no, mm-hmm. I even her son was grown. He's in college. Yeah. But yeah. that was her boundary and her priority. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of women worry that they cannot advance mm-hmm. if they're the woman that says no, because the guy in theory, right? Let's now we're going very sort of stereotypical, but yeah, maybe yeah. has the partner yeah. at home yeah. taking care of the kid. So he doesn't have to worry about that. Can you just speak to that a little bit? Because that might be one of the things that women struggle with because they do, they're, they they should have their ambition. They should be able to advance and they should not be mm-hmm. penalized for that. Um, but they might be. Yeah. And I think it takes courage in order to be able to set those boundaries, right? It is it is that courage because, yes, absolutely. I, again, I've been in some organisations and even when I started my business, I was told that most business was done on the golf course and that I would be missing out if I were not there with people. I can't play. I, I can just about um, you know, but I, I literally like I started taking golf lessons because I was like, I need to be involved. And actually, no, I didn't. We just needed a different way of doing business. And I needed That's to right. find a different way of doing business. And I think like find your tribe in your organization. Like who are the people that you can literally link arms with and walk out of the office together at five o'clock? And actually, if you're going to stay, like somebody walks past your desk to pick you up or somebody sends you a Slack message to say, right, turn off the laptop, right? Get your group of cheerleaders, because if you are the only one doing it, then, yes, you might be seen to be a bit difficult or you might be seen to be less committed or less engaged. And it, and it won't matter how much you do within the workplace. That's how you're going to be seen by your colleagues. 
And if your colleagues see you as the disengaged one that always leaves at five o'clock because, you know, she can't be bothered, that's not going to help you. But if there is a group of you that are, you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, it doesn't have to quite be the linking of the arms, but metaphorically, where you will switch off and say enough is enough and you leave. Because what you are then doing, not only are you doing it for yourselves, but you are doing it for every other woman that is in those offices with you. You are saying to them, we are allowed to do this, right? We are allowed a life outside of work and we can still grow and develop our careers. Just because I want to go and have dinner does not mean I'm not good at my job. It doesn't mean I'm not committed but I also don't have to kill myself in order to deliver my job in order to get that next promotion. Yeah. So find your tribe, link arms, walk out proudly. And I think that's the thing, right? You're walking proudly. You're not skulking out thinking, can't let Michelle see me. You know, I've got to kind of, I'll pretend I'm going to the bathroom or I don't want Michelle to see me putting my stuff in my bag. Like we don't, we don't want any of that. Yeah. We're going to pack up proudly we're going to ask others who's who else is coming, right? Who else has got dinner plans? Who else has got something that they're doing this evening? We're going to do it proudly. We're going to walk tall and we're going to show that there is a different way to do it because the change has to start somewhere. And again, a lot of the patriarchal systems that we work in, where it is hustle harder, work harder, you know, sleep when you're dead, all of that kind of stuff, that is no longer sustainable for any of us. For any, too too many of us. Yeah. Absolutely. But too many of us are looking around the office like, oh, I can't go until they go or or if they pack up, then it's okay for me. Like be the one to do it, right? Be the one to close the laptop and walk out proudly. Like I'm off for dinner, everybody see you tomorrow. Like make make it a make it a big thing. Celebrate it. Well, and I actually have a couple of thoughts on that. And now truth, I haven't been in corporate, but I'm just thinking of two things. One is when you set a clear boundary, I think people respect that. When you are clear about your intention, you're so clear about who you are. And if you prioritize your family and like you had a two hour commute, maybe if you're leaving at five, you're not home till 630 anyway. So you're factoring that in and that's your priority. And maybe you've got the little ones and you need to make sure you get to actually kiss them goodnight before they fall asleep Mm -hmm. because they're still little and getting to bed or whatever it might be. So that is being clear. And the second is I think sometimes there's just lack of awareness. So those Mm -hmm. leaders, those bosses need to be educated. And it's just a conversation with transparency that says, listen, my job is very important to me. I do a great job at it my priority is getting to see my children tonight. And, you know, so I can't do meetings. I can pick up with you if you're willing to at eight o'clock at night, like your boss did, or this is going to have to happen between these hours. It's, you know, this is the reality as a woman who has, who, who's the primary caretaker at home or something. I just, you know, the communication there that you said is absolutely key. Absolutely key. Because again, I can set a clear boundary. Yes. If I never communicate it with anybody yes and you don't know it's my boundary yes. you're probably going to keep crossing it and then all I do is get really frustrated because Michelle you keep overstepping my boundary and like, resentful. what are you doing and you're like I didn't know I didn't know it was there and like, I think you know, if we another another film there is uh the uh, Sarah Jessica Parker I don't know how she does it um, yeah if that film how she does it all you, or whatever you know, yeah how does she yeah but it's at the end of the film where she has decided that she has set herself a boundary and she communicates it with her boss when he says, you are going here. And she says, no, I'm not. And he's like, you are going here as though to say to her, like, if you want your job, you're going to listen and do as I say. And when she sets that boundary, 
everything changes for her in a really positive way. Yeah. I'm not going to say, you know, we don't all live in the fairy tale film world. Yeah. But when we set the boundary and communicate it, nobody else can say to us whether that's right or wrong, because that's our boundary. Yeah. You have to be clear and really embody that truth. Okay. And so Absolutely. what's the third one? This is really yeah. good, Kelly. What's third, the third one is then, so we get really clear on who we are. We set the boundaries. And again, we're setting those boundaries that are aligned to our core, who, who I am. Yeah. Once we've done those two things, then we create the time for ourselves. So that might be bubble baths, spa days, dinners with the girls, an hour to just sit and do nothing, 10 minutes to drink your coffee in the morning or whatever your, your drink of choice is. It could be you know a weekend away. It could be a retreat. It could be three 10 minute slots a day where you get to sit in a corner or cry or put your favorite music on or do whatever it is that you want to do. But when you know who you are and you set the boundaries, you then know the time that you need to create for yourself every day to allow you to live your best life, whether that's pre-burnout, post-burnout, nowhere near burnout. Who am I? What boundaries do I need to put in place? And what's the time that I need to take for myself? Actually, it's really important to me based on my values that I do have 10 minutes to myself every morning, sat in the garden with a cup of coffee so that I am relaxed, calm, polite, focused, whatever it is I need to be when the rest of my family get out of bed or before I leave for the office. Right. This is how I want to start my day, because it's important to me that I am aligned to my values. Or it's important to me that I do take a lunch break because one of my values is, I don't know, integrity. And therefore, I want to be ensuring that I'm always doing the right thing or saying the right thing. And therefore, in order to have the right energy going into my afternoon of meetings, I need to ensure that I've taken a break. Because if not, I know that I can be a bit snappy or I know that I don't listen or I'm not present or I'm not focused. So therefore, it's really important to me that I take my lunch break every day. And then that time feeds into your boundaries, but it's all aligned with who you are. It's not because of what anybody else does. Michelle and I will likely have very, very different daily routines. But again, we want to ensure that they're aligned to our values and aligned to who we are. And I can't argue with that. Like, Michelle, you shouldn't be doing that. Well, actually, I am doing that because it's aligned to my values, right? And it's important to me. Yes. And that's then how we start to create that change. And this has been such a rich conversation. I mean, and it's such an important one because like we said, I mean, everyone's felt some level of the scale of it and hopefully not Mm. towards the tipping point, but hopefully if you are there, this gave you something to help you. And just even with these three steps, this is the way towards prevention because this is ultimately what we want. And obviously we've seen even with people reintegrating into the corporate world, hybrid models, like everything's still kind of in flux and there is an opportunity to create uh, quality work without Mm -hmm. compromising your health and integrity and in your, and your, and your joy. So um, where can people connect with you online, Kelly? Where do you hang out? Uh, I am most active on LinkedIn. So you can follow me over on LinkedIn. Uh, Kelly Swingler, I'm still the only one on there. There are a couple of other Swinglers, but I'm still the only Kelly. Uh, So Kelly Swingler over on LinkedIn, or you can, uh, I've got some resources, blogs, podcasts, any kind of resources that may be helpful. If if there's anything uh, that's particularly triggered today, you'll find all of that over at kellyswingler.com on my website. 
Perfect. And the show notes for today will uh, be over at thegoodlifecoach.com. Be sure to share this one with friends. Uh, I think this was an important conversation and so much to take away from it. And it becomes almost like an invitation for somebody who's feeling this way to feel more safe, maybe dialoguing around it because there's no shame in it. It's just a matter of acknowledging your truth and working towards what ultimately allows you to live your best life. So um, Kelly, such a pleasure having you today. This has been such a great conversation. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much for the invitation. You can probably all tell I can talk about this stuff forever. So I do I do hope it's been a, it's been a value to your listeners. For sure. No, it was a fantastic conversation. Thank you, Kelly. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I hope you gained some new information or inspiration for your life. That is that the essence of this show is to really wake up to what's possible for you to reclaim your beautiful voice and to really learn to love and prioritize yourself. So if you gained any value from any of the conversations you've tuned into, make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast player. You can do that right now on your phone. And please do consider leaving a rating and review if you have yet to do so on Apple Podcasts. It's actually how more women can find the show. And I really want to grow a community of women who are loving themselves and living full on. So thank you as always for tuning in. And I look forward to reconnecting with you next Wednesday. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.